0: Thank you so much, orchestra in Sydney. Join me with you in your Bible tonight in Exodus chapter 13, please. And if you need a handout, we have a couple of handouts in the back. We have some. We have one. We're out. All right. Well, very good. Man, sorry about that. Hopefully everybody was able to get one. But uh, Exodus chapter 13 is where we're going to start. If you have a handout, you probably saw on that handout that we are covering a lot of ground tonight and uh have no fear We will get to the. I know many of you are here for the baptism service, and uh, but 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 first, we want to take at least just a couple minutes here and look at the Word of God. And have no fear; we are not covering every verse in Exodus chapter 13 through Exodus chapter 23. Uh, If you're part of Harvest, you know that we've been going doing a through the Bible study here over the uh, starting here in January, and so we are working our way together through the Bible. And so on Sunday nights, we we discuss a portion of Scripture that we would have read this past week. And so so if you're keeping up with the Bible. Reading, you would have read this uh, section of scripture, Exodus chapter 13 through 23, and again, we, we will not cover every verse um, in that section. But last week we talked about a God who cares, right? We talked from Exodus chapter two, the last couple, the last three verses of Exodus chapter two, where it says that God, uh, He saw the people of Israel, He saw the bondage, the affliction that they were in, and He remembered the covenant that He had made with with His people and the promise that he had made of land and of a nation. And he remembered that covenant that he made. And then it says that he, that he saw them and that he knew them, right? And, and um, he heard them, it were the four things. He saw, he heard, he knew, and he remembered. And, and I, I'd like to just hone in a little bit on that tonight as we're going to see, okay, what does that look like now uh, that God's seen that, he's known their, their, their situation, he's remembered the promise that he's made to them. So what is he going to do about it? And, and what we 're going to see tonight is that our God is a God who provides and, and he 's he's going to take action he 's going to do something. And we alluded to that briefly last week in in, in the Moses and the Burning Bush in the very next chapter in Exodus chapter three was the start of the process of God actually doing something about the problem of actually starting to provide something so we 're going to look at this this evening a God who provides. First, I would like to back up just a few chapters, actually one book in your Bible, and you don't have to turn there. It's on the top of your handout. But Genesis chapter 22, verse 14 says this, and Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's pray together and we'll look at the Word of God tonight. Father, we ask that you would meet with us this evening. Father, as always, I pray that you would help me say nothing that your word doesn't say. I pray that I would not get in the way of what you'd have for us to hear this evening. I pray that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, that you would encourage us. You would challenge us where we need to be challenged. You would encourage where we need to be encouraged. And Father, we thank you for the God that you are. I pray that we would learn just a little bit more about you tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this verse that we just read, Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh. And you're probably familiar with that, with that term. That's a term that, that you hear a lot about in, in church, in church churchy circles, I guess you could say. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. And this verse in Genesis 22, verse 14, is the only time in the Bible that that name of God is used, Jehovah-Jireh. Abraham is referring to the fact that God had provided for himself What? In Genesis 22, what's the story that's happening in Genesis chapter 22? God has commanded Abraham to take his what? To take his son and to sacrifice him. But at the last moment, God provides for himself a what? A lamb. He provides a lamb for the sacrifice, and that is what Abraham is referring to. This name of God, literally, Yahweh, Jehovah, sees. It's actually the word that's used there. It's the word see. It's actually the same word that we saw last week in Exodus chapter 2, where God saw the people of Israel. He saw their affliction. He saw what they were enduring. And, and this, this phrase, Jehovah Jireh, it's, it's actually a Hebrew uh, idiom. It literally translated just means the Lord sees. But the idea, has the, but the idea of the idiom, it, it has this idea that the Lord will see to it. Think about that for a second. The Lord, I mean, if you, if we, and that's an English idiom too, right? If I say I'm going to see to it, I don't mean that I'm going to look and see to that, right? That's not what I'm saying. What does it mean that I'm gonna, I am going? say I'm going to see? I'll see to it. It means I'm going to take care of it. It means that I'm, I'm, I'm going to deal with it. And, and that's exactly what it means here as well. The Lord will see to it. And thus it has been tra- traditionally translated, the Lord will provide. But I kind of like that, that he, he'll, he'll see to it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to see to that problem. And it goes along, again, nicely with what we looked at where God sees his people in their affliction in 430 years in their affliction in Egypt. He sees, he provides. And, and in the case of the children of Israel, they were in need of a lot of, of provision. What did the children of Israel need? I mean, at this point in the, in the narrative, they have left the land of Egypt. They're heading, heading straight into the wilderness, Pharaoh has quickly realized that this whole three days for a feast in the wilderness thing is not just that's not exactly what's actually gonna happen. He realizes very quickly they're not coming back. The children of Israel, they've left and and they're not they have no intention of turning around and coming home. And he would very soon be on their tail. But at this point, you've got something like a million people starting a journey through effectively the middle of nowhere. I mean, think about a logistical nightmare that this would have presented in feeding, and clothing, and and water, and and keeping these people alive, I I would not have wanted to be the person in charge of that, the events coordinator for that, someone who's going to figure out, okay, how are we going to get all these people fed? That's a big deal. That's a lot of people, and they're going into the middle of nowhere. So what do these people need? God knows his people. God knows what they need. And he is indeed a God who provides. So if he is a God who provides, what is it that he gives to his his people? First, we're going to see that he gives them his presence. Look at with me again in Exodus chapter 13. Look just in two verses, verse 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. So that they would be able to travel both by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. It was there with, him, God's pre- with them. God's presence came in the form of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And what was the purpose of God providing his presence in this way? First, it was to lead his people, to lead them by day so that they might know which way to go. We know that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was what the Lord used to show the children of Israel the way in the wilderness, according to this verse, and also according to Exodus chapter forty, the very end of the book of Exodus says this whenever the Lord the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up, for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God stuck with them. His presence was there with them. He did not leave them nor forsake them. God was there with them in the form of this pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. But first of all, yes, to show them the way. But secondly, as it says in verse 21, to give light to to the people, to lead the way and by night, and a pillar of fire to give them light. I mean, if you can't imagine what it would have been like to try to travel or to camp in the wilderness uh, with all these people without any light, God provided light so that their pe- his people could travel by day or by night. Now, that's great for them, right? And again, like all these stories at this point in the, in the Old Testament, we have to say, okay, well, fine, that's awesome. I mean, that's great that God did that for his people then, but what does he do for us? Well, he, he came as well, and, and he, he shown himself, and he came, and in, in his presence for us today came in the form of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He came and says, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And again, lest we say, well, that was nice for them when they, when Jesus was here, he, before he left, he he said, behold, in the Great Commission passage, he said what? Behold, I am what? With you. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He left his spirit with us. So God provides his presence. He is, he is with us, but he also provides a path through the wilderness. The very familiar story of the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 14, passing through the what? the Red Sea, right, or the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea. And we're going to look primarily here just at verses 9 through 16. Uh, Look with me in verse 9, Exodus chapter 14, verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside that place and before that other place. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Again, the children of Israel are sandwiched now. Pharaoh's behind them. The children of Israel are in the middle, about a million people or so. And the Red Sea is right in front of them. They have literally nowhere to go. Okay, there's, there's nothing for them to do. They cried out to the Lord in verse 10, which is interesting because in verse 11, they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, this is complaint number two of, by one count, 14 different complaints that show up in uh, throughout the Pentateuch of the, the children of Israel. They complain a lot. Okay? They complain for the first time back in Exodus chapter 5 when the straw was taken away. They complain here and they say, Moses, were there not, was, it, was there no one to, nowhere to bury us in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? They complain. Why have you so uh, dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we would die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be what? Do not be afraid. Stand still. An interesting choice of words in their current situation. They, they didn't want to stand still. They wanted to move, but they didn't have anywhere to go. Moses says, stand still. Reminds me of Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See what God is going to do. Watch. See how he's going to provide, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. He says, this is it. You're not going to see them again. Verse 14, and the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And we know, of course, that that is exactly how it happened. That Moses did lift his rod. the, 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 The Red Sea was parted, and they walked through on dry ground, and Pharaoh's army behind them drowned. God made a way. The psalmist Asaph alludes to this in Psalm 77. He says, Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So as we bring this back to our own lives, you know, have you ever thought about the path of your life? The path that you have taken. The path that the Lord has brought you on. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I look and, and I, I think about the course of my life. I think about uh, all the things that have led to all the things in my life, if that makes sense. And all, all the particulars and, and details that had to have been in place for things to have happened the way that they did. Does that make sense? And, and I think about how, how, how I could have never possibly, in a million years, come up with the plan for that right? I mean, I mean, it wasn't my idea. Like, I didn't think that this was going to be the way that God was going to lead me. And and I think about my own life, and I think about the way that He, and and sometimes when we're in the middle of that life, sometimes perhaps when we're in the middle of a difficulty, we're saying things like, God, why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense. But He is weaving the tapestry of our lives, he, he, he is making a way. He is providing a way. He's moving it in such a way, though, that, that only he can get the glory. Because he's doing it in such a way that I can't be like, hey, yeah, that was, that was my plan. That's, I thought that up. No. He's doing it in such a way that it, he is the only one that can get the glory. He is leading. He is making a path for us. And, and only he is the one that can make that way for you. And you've got to submit to that, though. Because sometimes it doesn't feel really great when it's happening. God makes a way, but he also provides physical provision for these people along the way. Here, turn to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to skip a little bit ahead here. Exodus 15, the end of the chapter, verse 22. We're going to find the Israelites complaining again. This is number 3 of 14. Moses, verse 22, brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no what? It's going to be a repeated theme here. They, they don't have any water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were what? Bitter, because Marah means bitter. That's why it's called, the, the, called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. Seems like an interesting way of curing bitter water. Showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Verse 26, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where, they were, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. And they camped out there by the waters. God provides them physical provision. Twelve wells and seventy palm trees sounds pretty nice. That sounds like a Caribbean va- vacation. Um, not like a desert, right? The Lord was providing beyond. Now, he gave them water. That is a need, okay? Did they have to have sweet water? Did they have to have 70 palm trees to sit under? No. God is providing far beyond uh, what their needs are. Then look at uh, chapter 16. They start complaining. So there's complaining, bitter water, complaining about no food. They journeyed from, uh, from Elam, and, then, and all the congregation of children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel, guess what they did again? They complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died. And this is again sounding familiar, familiar refrain here. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, the, what, what, what is going on right here? They're complaining, yes, but what is their need that they have? They are hungry. And and worst yet, they're they're a little bit hangry. Okay, they're a little hangry with Moses. They said, "You've well, again." They say this this familiar thing that, "Well, you've brought us out here to kill us." Okay, it would have been better if we were back in Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you." And the people shall, shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them that whether they walk in my law or not, it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. It shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, as evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against him. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, verse 8, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat. Meat. To eat in the evening and in the morning, bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against Him. And what are we? Are your complaints are. He says, "Look, this isn't about us. <laughs> this is. It's not our fault." Moses says, "Your complaints are against the Lord. Ignore that." Skip down to verse 11. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them saying, At twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God so that it was quail that came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Which literally in Hebrew is manna. It's two words, manna. And, and it, it's what is it? It's a question. What is it? <laughs> what, what is this stuff? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Verse 16, let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of the persons let every man take for those who are in his tent. So the Lord provides food, manna. What is it? They don't know what it is. It's this wafer. It's this sweet substance of some kind that they have never had before, but God provided food for his people. There's no food He provides food. There's no water. He provides water. And then there's no water again. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Then all the, rock, the all the excuse me, all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. So they've moved now. They moved away from the Bahamas' oasis place. Verse 2, Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Again, why are you talking to me about this? Talk to the Lord. Why do you tempt the Lord? The the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained again against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What am I going to do with these people? He says, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so. He obeyed in this instance. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. This is the first account of Moses and the rock, and this first time he does obey. Later in Numbers chapter 20, he would not. You know we have a lot of complaining in these verses, and 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 there would be there's much more that would come. We could have traced the complaints of the children of Israel. We could have had that be our outline tonight. Um, but I don't think the application for us is complain and get what you want, right? If you complain, then the Lord's going to provide what you what you want. I, I don't think so. Uh, according to Philippians chapter two, verse fourteen. Uh, Paul tells us to do all things without complaining and disputing, a favorite, favorite verse in our house. Um, you know, the people keep complaining, but God in His mercy keeps providing. And I, th- I think the application certainly is that, as Paul says later in the book of Philippians, uh, that I don't have on the, handout, on the screen, but it says, and my God in verse four, chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will do what? My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Also, David in Psalm 37, uh, verse 25, he says, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I've been, I've been young, and now I'm old. But I have not seen the righteous forsaken. God provides. Finally tonight, we'll see that God provides principles to follow. I trust you appreciate that all of our main points begin with the letter P tonight. Not a thing I typically do, but I got about halfway home and it's like, man, we got to go the rest of the way with this. P's, okay? God provides principles or instructions. He tells us what we're supposed to do. Um, You know, we won't take the time to read the Ten Commandments, but you're familiar with them. Exodus chapter 20, right? And, And really the chapters that follow, and really a large part of the remainder of the Pentateuch is God's prescription. Okay, that would have been another one. You could do another P. Prescription. God's instructions. God's principles. He tells us what He expects. The Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, as Moses would describe them in Exodus 34, 28. These instructions on on all kinds of things. Some things that are almost humorous when, when you read them. Uh, he, he, the Lord gives instruction on, on things from uh, the rules for what could and could not be done on the Sabbath. Uh, everything from that to the laws of fairness for uh, what would be done if an ox killed a person. What should be done to the ox? What should be done to the person? Wow. Uh, depending on uh, whether the ox had a bad habit of goring people or not. You know, And what should be done if it did? The point is that God doesn't leave his people guessing. Um, he tells us what, what he expects. I mean, is there anything more frustrating than, than wanting to do a, a good job, in a, maybe in a job or, or, I don't know, whatever setting. You, you, you want to please, maybe a parent, kids, you, you, you want to do the right thing, but you don't, you're unclear as to what the expectations are. That's a very frustrating position to be in, right? Right? You, you want to do the right thing. You want, you want to, to, to follow the instructions, but there's no instructions. It's been very unclear as to what exactly they, they you know, you just know that your, your boss or whatever, they're unhappy, but you don't know why because you wanted to do the right thing, but it was not clear what you were supposed to do. That's a very frustrating place to be, right? Um, God doesn't leave it up to us to figure out what we're supposed to do. He, he gives us the direction that we need. I, I've never been much of a um, puzzle person, to be honest. I I don't, some of you I'm sure are, and I have nothing against you, but if you like puzzles, you know, you sit down and you got to put like a thousand piece puzzle out out on the table or something, right? Uh, I don't, is that a lot? Is a thousand a lot or is it more? Higher? Should go higher? Like 3,000? 10,000? I don't know. That sounds really hard. 1,000 sounds hard. 100 might be hard to me. I don't know. But, uh, you know, 1,000-piece puzzle, okay? You, you put a 1,000-piece puzzle uh, out on the table, you, you dump it out. But if you can just imagine, you know, that's a pretty challenging puzzle, right? It's a challenge uh, that, that, that it depends quite a bit on, on what type of puzzle you're trying to create, what the image uh, of, is that you're trying to put down on the table. Um, But but can you imagine uh, for a moment if you're trying to put that puzzle together but you don't have the box? Have any of you ever had that situation? You lost the box somewhere and you don't even know what the picture is supposed to look like when you're done. Now that's a whole other level of of puzzle making, right? Um, You know, or a model car or assembling a bookshelf or a cabinet without instructions. It's not going to be very easy. Um, God in His providence and in His kindness, He He provided for His people and for all of us as well an instruction manual. And and I don't know, uh, you know it's amazing to, to look uh, to look around the world today and and see people just floundering. Um people that people in the world today who, who they, they don't have the, the, the directions they don't have the instructions. They're not reading the book, the manual on their life. You know, um, and, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise us that, that things don't make sense, right? That things in their mind aren't adding up. And, you know, many Christians even today, I fear, that, that attempt to, to, to get through life and make it, but they, they almost completely ignore this, They're not doing what the Bible says. They're just kind of doing what their own mind is telling them to do. They're subscribing to worldly or or carnal ways of thinking. Instead of submitting to this instruction manual that God in His providence and in His kindness has given us. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that He, as His divine power, has given us what? All things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How has He done that? He's given us everything that we need for life, for salvation, to be saved, to to know Jesus Christ. And He's also given us everything we need for for godliness, for sanctification. There's nothing outside of that. This is the rule book. We have it. We we know what we're supposed to do, right? It's just a matter of actually doing it, whether we're doing it or not. That's, That's the question. But He has provided... The, the principles that we need. He's given us the instructions. You know, and, and, and ultimately, it wasn't until several hundred years later, but, but through uh, the, these people, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and ultimately Jacob's son, Judah, the greatest gift would be born in Bethlehem hundreds of years later. And ultimately, the greatest gift and the greatest thing that God ever provided for us is what we're celebrating here tonight. It's salvation through Jesus Christ, by faith alone in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And each of these people that are going to be baptized here tonight by their own testimony, they are, they are giving testimony to the fact in, in being baptized here tonight that they have trusted Christ and Christ alone. They're not trusting in anything that they've done. They're not trusting in good works. They're not trusting in going to church, even being baptized, a good thing, but that's not what they're trusting. That is not the means of salvation, right? And that is ultimately the greatest gift that God has provided for us. Amen. So can we just summarize all this and say that, that, that God knows what we need and that he provides. He gives us what we need. This is, is not just true for the children of Israel. It's true for us, Jehovah-Jireh, God will see to it. He will take care of it. So, question, how, how do you respond to a God who provides? We don't worry about whether we'll have what we need because we know that He provides. I'll close with this. Jesus, as part of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he says at the bottom of your handout, it's there. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You can't. It's no good. It doesn't work. He says, are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than the birds? And the obvious answer, because we are made in the image of God, is yes, absolutely. And so thus, If we can trust that God will provide for those birds, then we can certainly trust him to provide for you and me. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful that you do provide. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of the children of Israel. Lord, that we have seen that we can read about them and and read the, the account of the ways that you provided for them. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Lord, I, I pray that even if there's one here tonight that has never trusted you for salvation, Lord, that, that has never received the ultimate gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them as well. Uh, we thank you for all these things. Thank you for these dear folks that are coming tonight to be baptized. And we pray all this in